0: Welcome back to the 132nd episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including BlackRock CEO disavowing the use of ESG as a term, uh, the interesting policies that Elon Musk is putting in place, and are they really free speech friendly, and a Green New Deal proposal, or like proposal, in New York to get rid of your fire oven pizza. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So businesses have always and probably will always drive America. They will be the engine that keeps us going forward. And They have been attacked or been wielded recently as mechanisms to implement different social movements or cultural movements. Or they've been weaponized by the activists. And I want to ask you, is this good or bad? Should businesses be in the business of politics? Or maybe you think that they should be in the business of business. But maybe those things aren't mutually exclusive in your point, from your point of view. So, tell me what you think. Throw it down in the comment section. Do you want to be bombarded by different political messages? Or do you at least want your companies that you buy from to agree with you politically? It's an interesting question. I don't know where it leads, but I want to know your opinions. Throw them down in the comment section down below. In speaking about companies that espouse a certain point of view, you've probably heard of BlackRock, and this is what the topic of our first article is. It comes from the Washington Free Beacon. BlackRock CEO, drop ESG term. I'm ashamed of being part of this conversation, end quote. And you may have seen some of the pundits on the right say, oh, look, look, he says that he no longer wants to be part of ESG, he's ashamed that he's a part of ESG. I mean, you've also probably seen some other pundits say, which is my first reaction when I read it, which is he's not saying that he's not going to pursue ESG goals. He literally says a sentence later that he's going to focus on conscientious capitalism. Oh, how amazing does that term sound? It's just difficult enough to pronounce that people are probably like oh that sounds oh that sounds fancy what is that what's going on there it's just going to become a new buzzword it's going to be used by the right to attack the movement it's going to be used by the left for a while so that the average consumer doesn't know that it's just ESG by a different name but let's get to some of the quotes that he said and then we can break it down a little bit further quote the ceo of blackrock said he is ditching the term ESG because he is quote ashamed to be involved in the debate surrounding the so-called woke investing. Quote, I'm ashamed to be a part of this conversation, CEO Larry Fink said on Sunday at the Aspen Ideas Festival in Colorado, referring to the debate surrounding his investment company's focus on ESG, or environmental, social, and governance issues in its investments. Quote, I'm not going to use the word ESG because it's been misused by the far left and the far right. BlackRock has faced backlash from Republican-led states, including Texas and Florida, for its prioritization of woke investing. The later divested $2 billion in state assets managed by BlackRock. End quote. And of course, this is referring to what Ron DeSantis did in Florida. He said, no, 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 no. We are not going to be a part of this woke investing. We're not going to give our money to companies that are obviously acting against the cultural interests that we're trying to push here in Florida. And he said, no, no, no more state funds are going to it. And what's the interesting thing here, and the conversation always goes back with BlackRock, and this is why I want to highlight it for those of you who don't know, and for those of you who do know, just keep it in the forefront of your mind. The important part of this conversation when it comes to how BlackRock is investing in these ESG initiatives is they are actively using the money of people who have pension funds that are managed by BlackRock or who buy particular ETFs, like I believe iShares. I believe iShares is the ETF company that is majority owned by BlackRock. So these different companies, they are using the money that is given to them by people to invest and save and grow so that maybe when they come out of retirement or go into retirement, they have enough money in the bank because of their pension fund. Or maybe people who are casual investors want to throw some money into an ETF so they're diversified across a certain sector or maybe the entire market, and they can get exposure to a lot of different things but also lower their risk. But then BlackRock uses this money to go to boards to buy up shares and then go to boards and say, you know, you know, we actually own about 5% of your shares right now because of all this money that we're getting from our customers. And we think that this initiative is going to be more important. And we think that your customers would enjoy seeing that you care about the environment. And if you don't do this, I mean, we'll just sell your shares. I, I mean, it's only 5%. It's only 5%. But, you know, just just think about it. We'll make sure that we go to a different company and we buy their shares and see if they're more willing to go forward with this ESG narrative. And that doesn't seem so bad, 5% of their shares. But imagine what that will do to their stock price. Let's be clear, BlackRock wouldn't be able to sell all of them at one time, but... Over a week, if you see that there are more shares being sold than bought up on the market, investors are going to run away from that company. They're going to change the analyst rating. They're going to say, oh, no, 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 stay away from this one for a little bit. So that could seriously hurt a lot of companies' stock prices. So you can see how BlackRock, because of the funds that they're getting from state pension plans or just from the casual investor trying to buy some ETF, buy a ETF, that is meant to give them a wide exposure while lowering their risk, you could see how it could be weaponized and used by BlackRock on these boards. And then when you, BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard, all do this at the same time, you can imagine, what, if each owns about 5% of a majority of companies' boards that are traded on the NASDAQ or some of the top Fortune 500 companies, and that's about 15%. And if all those companies pull out at the same time, that could really hurt your stock price. So this is why ESG has been very contentious because the Wall Street bankers, the Wall Street firms that are meant to help their customers grow their savings, their investment, and make sure that they, at the end of their lives or at the end of their career, or even just coming up and they want to maybe sell some shares, and have a little bit of extra cash on the side when they're having their first child, when they want to go purchase their first home and they need a down payment. They're utilizing those funds in order to push a very particular narrative. And that's why I think it's interesting also that Fink made a comment about the left being the problem as well as the right. And I think he's being a little bit generous here because if I had to guess, he would actually agree with most of the people on the left who are pushing for ESG policies. You know why? Because BlackRock was one of the first companies pushing for ESG policies. And unless they've been infiltrated themselves, and somebody owns 5% of their shares and is really pushing this, you can really say that BlackRock started this push towards conscientious capitalism. And why would Larry Fink be upset with the side that actually agrees with him unless he's trying to worm his way out of the conversation and make it look like, no, 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 we're not partisan. It's interesting. He's doing exactly what I asked at the beginning or what a lot of companies are doing right now, which is trying to further themselves from the ESG idea and make sure that it doesn't appear that they come down on either side. Because they don't want Strive, like Vivek Ramaswamy's company, to come out of nowhere and be able to seize on people who are trying to push back against ESG who don't want to invest in ESG. He wants to stay in the middle so that $2 billion more billion doesn't leave his fund from each state that happens to be a red state and is giving some of their pension funds to BlackRock. He's hedging his bets here. But the next part is even more interesting in my opinion. Quote, Fink also described his past focus on ESG issues as merely assessing the investment environment. That really speaks to what I was just talking about. He saw the landscape. He said, oh, ESG is popular right now. People are really, they really want products that are more focused on providing a net positive to society and the environment. And this was the push initially from, I believe, if I had to guess, a millennial generation that was becoming ever more conscious of world issues and becoming ever more interconnected globally because of social media. They can see the impacts that some of the policies here in America may have across the world. They know that, okay, it's not just about America anymore, and we may be lowering our emissions, but if we don't do it fast enough and other countries don't do it fast enough, we could make it so warm that a certain segment of the population in the Middle East will be unable to live there anymore because it may become uninhabitable. So when you have this more global perspective and you have to think about the survival of the entire human race, at least that's how it's framed through a lot of environmental issues, you start to look past your country that may be fine if temperatures go up an extra two degrees, but the people that live in the far north who are going to lose their homes or their way of living because they're losing ice or people in the center Towards the equator who will be overly affected by really, really warm temperatures, you start to have a different perspective. And Fink said, okay, well, these millennials, they really care about these issues, so I'm going to take advantage. And he says it here like, oh, well, I was just seeing how the investment environment was moving. Yes, you saw a trend in culture, and then you capitalized and pushed it even harder, and I'm not blaming him for that. That is what a good capitalist, a good Wall Street investor does. They see the companies that are going to do really well, they see the trends, and they build up a portfolio that is going to maximize the amount of money they can make from that. He did the same thing with ESG. Little did he know how much political, when you get actually political, rather than just seeing trends that are business-oriented but political trends, how that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Quote, When I write, wrote those investment letters, I was never meant to be making a political statement, Fink said. They were written to identify long-term issues to our long-term investors. Fink tried to backtrack on his comments later in his remarks, claiming he never said he was ashamed. And he never said, I was, quote, I never said I was ashamed, Fink said. Quote, I'm not ashamed. I do believe in conscientious capitalism, end quote. And that's what I was talking about earlier. He just wants to get away from the weasel word. He's looking, once again, he's doing what the investor does. He's surveilling the landscape. He's realizing, okay, ESG is a term that has been drugged through the mud so much, has gotten so much media coverage, it has gotten so much pushback, we're going to stop using it. But I still do believe in these movements, and this is why I say it's more than just looking at the market for him because he actually believes in some of the things that he's espousing with ESG. And we're going to you know, keep going with conscientious capitalism. He doesn't say he's going to keep going, but he says he do he does believe in conscientious capitalism, meaning that he's still going to pursue these same things just under a different title. And it is funny how he got caught up and he had to say, no, 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 I'm not ashamed, even though literally sentences earlier he said that he was ashamed. Actually, I take that back. I don't know if it was sentences earlier. They make it sound like when somebody brought up a question later on during the idea summit that... He had forgotten that he said he was ashamed to be a part of the ESG movement. But, you know, that's my take on this important news. And you've probably seen a lot of it. If you're a conservative, you've seen a lot of it in the news. There has been a little bit of liberal coverage from all the different networks that I've been following about it. And then there's also the middle of the road ones like Breaking Points that... Made a few comments about it, but I wanted to throw in my two cents as a business major too to really highlight the more business side of it, which is he was just recognizing trends in the market and trying to capitalize. And you can't necessarily blame him for that. But when he pushes too far and uses ESG as a weapon and his ability to garner large amounts of funds as a weapon, you can definitely criticize that. All right. If we want to talk about criticizing people, there has been no lack of criticism for Elon Musk ever since he took over Twitter. And there's another article that came out from the Daily Beast doing the exact same thing. And there's some places I agree with this author, and there's some places I don't agree with this author. So let's jump into it. Quote, When Elon Musk was taking over Twitter, he styled himself as a free speech warrior. He repeatedly promised that all speech protected by the First Amendment would be allowed on the platform. This was met by sheer delight from many conservatives, libertarians, and others on the right. And before we keep going, I love how they're lumping in libertarians to people on the right. Libertarians are not necessarily on the right or on the left. They may be very libertarian on social issues or economic issues, either one, and then could be left or right on either of the opposite economic or social issues. So I, I don't like how they're lumping it in here. But it is the Daily Beast, so we should expect things like that, just trying to point it out and trying to be a little bit critical of what they're coming from. Quote, Senator Ted Cruz, for example, heralded Musk's Twitter takeover as, quote, one of the most significant developments for our free speech in modern times, end quote. Right-wing media stars like Ben Shapiro similarly celebrated the takeover. I myself was optimistic, although more cautiously so yet since actually assuming control of Twitter, Musk's taken a decidedly different approach to what tr- free speech truly means and what the free speech advocates had hoped, And quote. So this is, of course, very, very true. You've seen all the comments from one side or the other. Elon Musk has most definitely become a hero of the right to some degree or, more accurately, he's become the hero of people who were felt disenfranchised under the old Twitter model. So, there was lots of praise for him, and then certain things happened, and people have become a little bit more hesitant moving forward, myself included. Because if you are going to claim that you're a free speech absolutist, then you need to be a free speech absolutist. Even if what someone says is hateful and offensive, you can't take it down. Even if somebody is getting bombarded by a whole bunch of tweets, you cannot take it down. And there are obviously tools that Elon could give to the user in order to prevent spam or in order to prevent people from constantly berating them with DMs or berating them from the Twitter feed and constantly replying to their old tweets. There are tools that Musk could give to the individual user to decide how their feed shows up, how people can interact with them. That would be a better approach than overall or outright bans on terms or different, what some would call, slurs. And that's the important part of this conversation. This is why he's back in the news. Quote, "...the CEO's latest free speech controversy comes, of course, in the context of the never-ending culture war over transgender issues." While it's not commonly used in daily life, the term cisgender, or cis, is increasingly used in academia, media, and various progressive spaces to describe people who are not transgender, a.k.a. people whose gender identity matches their birth sex. We're going to take a pause there. I disagree. While it's true that it's not being used in common daily life when you're interacting with 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, the younger generation, it is brought up almost all the time. Maybe it's because my ears are lit up to it. Maybe it's because I'm hyper aware of this term, but I heard it all the time on college campuses. I heard it talked about a lot by professors when trying to make very important points about the difference between cisgender people and non-cisgender people. I also heard it a lot talked about by people who were a little bit more left-leaning or non-gender conforming on campus. And to be clear, they weren't a large segment of the population at the campus I went to, but in most conversations that I overheard or some of the conversations I was a part of myself, the word cis came up. Was it always used in a derogatory manner? No, but sometimes it was used in arguments like, oh, well, you're just a cisgender white man. And you know, that is fair. I am all of those things, so I can't get offended. But the idea that it's not being used more and more, even though it's not being used in every single day life with an older part of public an older part of the population doesn't mean that it's not becoming more and more used. And I think that's the author what the author skips over here. But let's get back to the Twitter controversy. Quote some people particularly Those who lean to the right on the debate over transgender issues reject this term and do not wish to be called cisgender. The free speech approach would be to let proponents use the term and let critics critique it. Then there's Elon Musk's new approach. One Twitter user complained after tweeting that he doesn't like being called cis. Many people flooded his replies calling him, well, cis in welcome to twitter folks trolling isn't a reason to tweet it's the only reason in response to this random post musk announced a new twitter policy that will treat cisgender as a slur and suspend users who repeatedly use the term to describe someone who doesn't want to be called it end quote and this is where i take issue I don't think that we should be calling cisgender people cisgender people and trying to create another category and bubble them off and identify them as different. No, they are people who identify with the sex of their birth. You know what it's called? People. That is a majority of the situation. By trying to create a separate category for them and identify them as such, you're trying to make it seem not normal. And let's be clear, nobody's truly normal. There is no 100% standard of what all humans are. But if they are over 95% of the population, you can say that they are normal. Nowadays, it's probably more like 70% of the population. Even then, you could call them the majority. So they're normal. They don't have to have a special label as cisgender. But where I disagree is Elon Musk coming down using his authoritarian or authoritative, because it's not Like, he's being overreaching and outright saying, oh, no, 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 I hold all the power on Twitter. I think he's honestly trolling a little bit here. Just like the author pointed out, that is what happens on Twitter. But he is using his power as the authority, as the owner, and saying, okay, nope, you can no longer use cisgender, and he's going to consider it a slur. You know what that sounds like? You know what that sounds like? The previous Twitter administration the previous Twitter administration would label or say certain terms, certain phrases like learn to code were hurtful or were being used to target specific segments of the population or were meant to be harassment towards people and then say you can't use them anymore. And I didn't agree with it then. I don't agree with it now. I'm sorry. If you, even though I don't agree with cisgender being used and normalized, if you get offended by being called cisgender, It's like somebody who is from the older generation saying that, oh, you youngins, you don't understand, blah, 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 and using terms that may seem a little bit old-fashioned or referring to the group of younger people as youngins, and it is a little bit different. But in premise, it's very similar, which is it is one group using a term that identifies a different group as something else. And it could be used in a derogatory way. It could be used in a nice way. What if all the transgender activists came out and said, oh, we love the way that cis people do blank. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It only has the value that we give to it. And if you have such thin skin that being called cis is making you feel offended, I am sorry. Get over it. Groups have different names for everything. The conservatives call the liberals the libs. The libs call the conservatives the far right. Now, is it accurate? Are either one of those terms nice to say? No, probably not. They probably don't completely accurately describe what the other side is doing. Or calling the liberals leftists. Not all of them are leftists. And that is not nice. It's not kind. But guess what? If you get offended by being called that, that is your weak skin. That is your thin skin coming out, not the problem of the other person saying it. Because you know what? In America, you cannot tell other people what to say. You cannot demand that they call you something that they don't want to call you. You cannot demand of them to interact with you in the way that you want them to, because then you are infringing upon their ability to live their life as they would wish. And I think that this is just a stupid rule that is being put up by Twitter, and those who are praising it are being stupid, and those who are deriding against it, recognizing no matter what political side of the aisle you come from, that this is just more restriction on speech, and it leads to a dangerous precedent, even if you agree with them politically, I think those people are taking the right line here. And that's where I agree with this author. I disagree that cisgender is not being normalized and used more and more often, and that it's a way—I also don't agree with the author that it's not a big deal. I do think that it's a way to just create more subcategories that divide us as a population rather than acknowledging we're all Americans or we're all just people. It's just a way to create a subcategory that you can throw people into and other them for. But I do agree with the author when they say that this is not free speech friendly. And when I read this article, I was like, okay, you know, this is where I can see there's hope in the future when we have people on both sides of the aisle who are 100% willing to talk about the issues, talk about the overarching, the superficial stuff but then can agree on the fundamental things that make America, make America what it is. And those are the freedoms and rights and pre-existing, the enumerated, the undeniable natural rights that we have as American citizens and how we need to protect those. It gives me a little bit of hope. All right, so let's talk about something a little less deep and philosophical, or a little bit less, oh, yes, free speech, mm. But it is a freedom that I think people should have, which is the ability to cook a pizza with a coal or wood oven stove. And you've also probably seen this story, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious, and it's coming out of New York. This article comes from the New York Post. Green New Dealers now come after New York pizza's coal fire ovens enough already so you probably saw that New York came after gas stoves and some people made jokes oh what's next you know are they going to come after the overly inefficient toasters no 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 they're coming for the heart of the culture of New York and yes of course I am being a little bit hyperbolic your pizza that you get in New York it doesn't have to be wood-fired. It doesn't have to be coal-fired. It could be created in a giant industrial oven. But there is something very beautiful about crafting a pizza in a brick oven. There was a place in my hometown of Warrenton. well, my closest hometown, my actual hometown is absolutely tiny, but one of the towns around us, Warrenton, had a place called The Brick, which was a brick oven style pizza joint underneath a popular restaurant and when it came out my parents and I we went there pretty darn often because their pizza was really really good and I can't say it's just because of the brick oven because sometimes it depended on the chef how good it would be but we really enjoyed their pizza and when you go to New York what do you think about you probably think about hey watch where you're walking or I'm walking here or you think of, and I'm sorry if that was terrible, you maybe think of the Yankees, you think of Wall Street, you think of pizza, the Statue of Liberty, the World Trade Center. So there are certain things that come to mind, and pizza is most definitely one of them. So the fact that New York is coming after a important part, some would argue, of the pizza culture, and they're actually t- attacking the... Social fabric or the fabric that underlies New York really speaks to how some people who are searching for progress on the left are willing to do so at the risk of taking away institutions or parts of experiences that have been very traditionally embedded within New York, but also within America in general. You may not like that gas stoves are used, but some people really enjoy gas stoves because of the way you're able to cook certain foods on them. And they say, well, induction plates don't necessarily do the same thing. You know, that may not always be true. You may be able to cook that little sausage that you cut up and you throw in some macaroni for your kids just as well on a induction plate just the same as you would if you had a gas stove. But maybe there are certain foods like a properly seared the filet mignon that would be a little bit different so there are reasons that these things exist and they have certain purposes and they can in some instances especially with the coal fire ovens indicate a certain culture or be a symbol of a certain culture of new york pizza makers And when the left comes for those culture identifiers, they come for those symbols in order or for the name of progress. You can see how their ideology can be a little bit perverted. So I'm just going to read one quote from this one so you get a little bit of an idea of what's going on here. And I think it's a funny comment from an average New Yorker. Quote, as one outraged customer told The Post... I'm all for responsible environmental practice, but tell Al Gore to take one less private jet or something. Elon Musk also echoed this idea on Twitter. This is utter BS. It won't make a difference to climate change. That's exactly right. Any green gains from this policy will be minuscule, while the potential damage to the New York foods culture and overall fabric of life could be incalculable. Even more laughably, the DEP, which is the Department of Environmental Protection, by the way, is arguing for the rule on public health grounds. Ha! New York now rushing headlong into a congestion pricing scheme that is likely to worsen pollution, especially in the Bronx, as well as stalling traffic in neighborhoods that already suffer from bad air quality. End quote. So you can see here that people are not necessarily having it, and there is something to it, even if it is a small portion of the population. Then my question is, well, okay, if they argue that, oh, we're not actually disrupting the fabric because it's not every single pizza place that uses a wood or coal-based oven, or, you know, it's not that big of a deal, I promise, I promise. We're not affecting the entire New York City infrastructure. When it comes to pizza, the you know the pizza mafia. We're not going to disturb all of them. Then how are you sure that this environmental policy will actually be as effective as you want if it's a small portion of the owners and the users of coal fire ovens? And then the inverse is well, you know we're going to affect them, but we're going to make sure that they can install special filters on the coal fire or we're going to make sure that they're laid out in a specific way so that it doesn't cause as much pollution, so on and so forth, internally inside the restaurant, then you're asking these owners to take on large, large amounts of costs in order to maintain a process that they've probably been doing for at least 10 years, if not 20. Maybe some of these restaurants have been running for 40, 50 years. And you're asking them to incur Another expense on top of all the other expense and regulation that is in place in New York when they're just trying to make their pizza for their patrons and patrons just want to come in and get a good slice of pie when they're walking down the street. They want a quick $2, $1 slice of pie that's just cheese and bread and maybe a little bit of margarita sauce. It just it feels like an absurd argument to me, and it really just shows how a certain segment of the population is willing to tear at the roots of our system or the roots of some cultural institutions or the roots of some community in order to progress forward and i don't think that's the way that we should do it i think we should progress forward while keeping the good things the social fabric intact if we can and if we can't then we have to have a longer discussion more than just hey we're imposing this new rule deal with it but that's just my opinion on that one let's jump to something more positive positive. This is our Daily Delight, and this one comes from the Animal Rescue site. And, this, oh, sorry, this one actually comes from Insider. First ever video captured of adorable birth of critically endangered Burmese peacock soft-shell turtle hatchlings. So, you know, there are very few things, in my opinion, that can provide such a sense of joy in life as watching the creation of life itself. Quote, 15 tiny turtles in Myanmar just made waves across the scientific community after their birth was captured on camera by conservation workers in what appears to be the first official record of Burmese peacock soft-shell turtles, hatchlings. End quote. And once you see these guys, once you see these little ones, you'll never forget how unique the design is on the back of their shell. Quote, The rare species named for its bright orange spots on the shell, reminiscent of peacock feathers, are found only in Myanmar and are highly sought after in East Asia, end quote. If you want to see any of the cute photos or you just want to see what these guys' shells look like or want to see any of the cute videos of them going to the ocean after being hatched or read any of today's articles, there will be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, pocketcast. Podvine as well as google podcast and the twitter handle is down there at your daily flip give it a follow you get direct links to the videos on monday wednesday friday as well as twitter exclusive content on tuesday and thursday now called the twitter tirade not as scripted it just is me ranting about random topics and some are political some are not and i think it's a interesting way to have a different conversation and reframe the way some people think about certain issues All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.